It's wonderful to be able to worship with the Lord today, isn't it? And with the Lord's people. And all God's people said to that, amen. Right. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Philippians chapter 2. As we go back to uh, looking at Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to read the final section in this chapter, which begins at verse 19 and continues to the end through verse 30. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, so please give attention to the word here because it is the word of the Lord. Philippians 2 at verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will genuinely be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is the word of the Lord. There is a worldwide shortage of one of the most important resources today. No, I'm not talking about the microchip shortage that is causing a severe uh, limitation of inventories for automobile dealers and uh, other uh, products, of course, that depend on the chip for uh, each of those tiny tech gadgets that we have. Not talking about that. I'm thinking of a resource, if you will, that is even more rare to find these days than a microchip. One that is even more vital for the welfare of people everywhere. I'm speaking, of course, of humility. Been talking a lot about humility, uh, or Paul has here in chapter two, especially. Uh, he's hammering it home in a variety of ways. We've been seeing that from the very beginning of this chapter. Paul has been stressing the necessity of each believer in Jesus Christ 
to live a life of gospel humility, of placing others ahead of ourselves, of counting others as more significant than ourselves, of looking out for the interests of others as well as the legitimate interests of ourselves and our families. All of this was explained, as I say, in the early verses of this chapter, and for good reason, because for all the commendable qualities that the Philippian church had, and it was a very fine church from all that we can gather, but for all of that, there were some areas of concern that Paul saw in this congregation. The concern Paul addresses is the lack of fellowship in this fellowship. People were not always getting along with one another. People were not always pleased with the way things were. And there were personality clashes. There were, uh, as Paul calls it, grumblings and disputings among them. And those were signals to Paul that that's not the way the Lord wants his people to treat one another as brothers and sisters in Christ in the congregation that was situated in the Roman colony of Philippi in Asia, I mean in Europe, the first church, Christian church in Europe. The remedy for this congregational illness was to put on gospel humility that is exemplified supremely in the ministry of Jesus himself. Paul has already exhorted them to have this mind in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death on the cross. Dr. Bogus reminded us of that last week, didn't he? As he expounded these verses in Philippians 2, 5 through 9, about the humiliation of Christ and what it meant for us. It not only was the way that Jesus obtained salvation for us, it also served as a model, if you will, for godly living for us. And Paul is doing that here. He's exhorting them to have this same mindset that Jesus had, putting aside his own uh, blessings and interests and being willing to suffer even for the good, the eternal good of his people. Now, we who are united to Christ by faith, we're called on to live humbly. And I hope you already know that this is far more than just having a certain attitude about yourself. Oh, I've got to live humbly. I'm nothing. No, he's really talking about how to love people. The best way to love God's people as a Christian is for us to have that humble mindset, to put the interest of others ahead of ourselves. In fact, it's really another way of saying, love your neighbor as yourself. Love them the way you know you would want to be loved if you were in that situation. Put them first. So we look at this uh, passage we've read and, and what we have before us in this final section is Paul writing about his travel plans. 
He's in Rome, in prison. He wants to go to Philippi to see the people that uh, he had seen come to faith in Christ and become a congregation. But he can't right now. But he's not ruling out the, the possibility. And he says, you know, it's basically if the Lord wills, that's what I'm going to do because that's what I want to do. I want to come and see you. But until then, there's two other people that are going to play a very important role in ministering to you and in ministering to me, Paul, from you. One was Timothy, the other was Epaphroditus. And I'm putting before you here, uh, just in a sort of a simple way, how Timothy modeled this humble mindset and how Titus did the same thing. Oh, excuse me, not Titus, Epaphroditus. So think about Timothy here, first case study that we want to see. And it's in verses 19 through 24. The humble servant. The key word there is the servant aspect. Timothy was a servant. He was Paul's, uh, Paul was his mentor. He was a young minister and he traveled with Paul and, and aided Paul, helped Paul in many of the churches, a number of the churches there in, in Paul's missionary journeys. <coughs> Timothy <coughs> was a different kind of pastor. He wasn't like <coughs> so many of the pastors were at this point in, in uh, uh, Paul's time. He was different because he was a faithful one. He was different because he was a humble servant. And Paul contrasts here the way Timothy was to those who were not being faithful servants. And Paul is very explicit here. In verse 21, he says, for they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. Now, understand, Paul is not saying every single a minister of the gospel right now, except Timothy, is seeking their own interest. He's not saying that. He's not speaking universally. He's speaking generally. He's saying that in, uh, if you look out and see what's going on with uh, false teachers and ministers who are not faithful to the gospel, you'll find that seems to be more, a lot more of them than there are those who are faithful ministers of the gospel. And so Paul is pointing that out. He, Timothy's not like that. The, these false guys, you know, he's already talked about that earlier uh, in chapter one. You may remember that uh, he was complaining in a sense about that. Uh, <clears throat> he says in verse uh, 15, at the end of verse 15 of chapter one, that some preach from envy and rivalry. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. And a little further down, in verse 17, he says, the former practice proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. They were, in a sense, seeing themselves as rivals to Paul. And they wanted to take advantage of Paul's imprisonment for their own advancement. And that's what Paul is talking about here to Timothy in chapter 2. He is 
not like those who are seeking their own interests. He's putting his interests aside, Timothy is. He's concerned about the interests of the church. That's where his heart is. That's a great thing to be able to say about any Christian, but certainly a leader uh, of God's people. And so it's important, I think, here for us to ask a question. How do you know who you can trust? Now, sometimes we ask that when it comes to, oh, let's say politicians. (laughs) Can I really believe the words that are coming out of that man's mouth? (laughs) How do I know I can really trust what they're saying? Listen, there is an erosion of trust in all levels of society right now. It's gotten increasingly worse, don't you think? And so people... People in certain positions, not just politically, but in other positions of influence, we're, we're in a mindset now in our culture where we're just saying, do I believe that person? And then there's the experts online, on their websites, the experts who very strongly express their opinion. Well, can I really trust what they're saying? How do you know who you can trust. Well, let me give you a a good example from what we just read. Paul is endorsing Timothy. Paul is saying you can trust Timothy, unlike so many others that say they're leaders in the church. Paul is saying that. So when you're asking yourself, how do I know who I can trust? Here's one way to do it. Inquire of someone you know well that knows that person sufficiently to where you can depend on what they say. If they endorse someone that you're trying to decide if you can trust them, then that helps. It's not the, you know, guaranteed thing, but it helps a lot. We depend on that on a lot of things, don't we? We will perhaps go see a doctor when we know someone who has spoken well of that doctor. And we didn't know that doctor. We wanted to learn more about that doctor. Ask somebody you know who knows them. It can really really help you a lot, and usually that works out quite well. Well, here's Timothy. The thing about Timothy here is that he has a heart for God's people. You see that in verses 19 through 21. He says that uh, he wants to send Timothy. Timothy's with Paul right now in Rome, but he wants to send Timothy to Philippi. And he says, I want to do that so that I too may be cheered by news of you. He knows that Timothy is going to be trusted and he's going to care about those people and he's going to care about Paul. A little further down, he says in verse 20, I have no one like him. No one like him. Imagine Paul saying that about somebody. I have no one like him. And interestingly, that word like, it's the same word that Paul used in chapter, in verse five of this chapter, talking about how Jesus was equal with God. I have no one equal to him, is what Paul is saying about Timothy. Like Jesus is equal to God. He is fully God. Remember we talked about how that word, Greek word was isos, from which we get isosceles, isosceles triangle, equal sides. No one's like him. He's, he's 
Very special uh, in his qualifications, in other words, for Paul. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned about your welfare. Genuinely concerned. There are people who really care about your soul. Remember the psalmist who complained, no one cares for my soul. I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but that's not a good way to to feel, is it? Nobody cares about me. Nobody cares if I go to heaven or hell. Nobody cares about the the sorrow I'm experiencing, the grieving, the pain I'm experiencing, the difficulties I'm going through. Everybody just says, hi, how are you doing? Fine, how are you? Fine. We need to go beyond that if we're brothers and sisters in Christ, don't we? We need to get beyond those superficial greetings. Sometimes that's all we have time for. I understand that. But when we have opportunity, people ask how you're doing. That doesn't mean you're supposed to unload every problem you have on them right there on the spot. But we do need to be able to communicate more fully and have opportunities to communicate, make opportunities to communicate more fully how we're doing. And so there are people who care for our souls. That's what the, one reason the church exists. We never should be able to say that in the body of Christ, that no one cares. But here, we have someone who truly cares. He genuinely is concerned for their well-being, for their welfare. So I think a, a takeaway from this is... Just because you know there are some bad apples doesn't mean that there aren't any good ones. Just because you see a lot of people that don't seem to care about you or even have experienced bad pastors or church leaders that haven't cared for you, that doesn't mean there aren't those who do. You know, to send Timothy To send Timothy to Philippi was not a simple thing. Timothy can't just hop on a plane in Rome and fly to Athens or somewhere like that and uh, then uh, get a car and rent a car and go up to Philippi. Couldn't do that then. What he had to do and what Epaphroditus also will have to do is make an 800-mile trip. 800 miles by land and sea, storms, danger, not a simple thing to do. It was a sacrificial thing to do. So Timothy has this heart for God's people. That's an example of a humble servant. And he has a proven character too, as verses 22 through 24 tell us. He's been tested. He says in verse 22, you know Timothy's proven worth. You know, he's young, relatively speaking, but he is experienced. And he has proven his reliability. He's proven his faithfulness. He's proven his love for other people. And so you don't have to worry. I'm attesting to him, Paul is saying. And he will be able to serve them well. Now, uh, Stephen Lawson put it very well when he 
he was talking about how uh, we, God puts us through trials, and as he puts us through trials, one of the purposes of that is to grow us and strengthen us so that we will be able to do things in serving others that we would not have been able to do before. You think of the Christian life as, a, as like going to a school to get a degree. You're always in class. God is always providing ways for you to grow and learn. We need to look at our difficulties in that way too. Lord, what can I learn from this? How can I be wiser? How can I be more faithful as a result of this? And so on. So Timothy is going through, has gone through difficulties, uh, and he, he's not, he's got issues with himself personally. Remember, he had a timid nature. He was easily fearful. He was self-conscious. And Paul had to continue, continuously encourage him and remind him, God hasn't given us a spirit of timidity, but of sound mind. Timothy was like that. He had physical problems. You know, he had to, Paul said, you need to drink some wine now and then to help your stomach troubles. And so he had all these things going that could easily have made him back off and not want to make that 800-mile trip, but he did it. Someone put it well, a ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. And by ministry, think of service as a believer in Christ. Some sort of service to others. If it doesn't cost you anything, it's probably not going to accomplish anything. We have to serve at a, at a cost to us, a humble servant. The pathway to faithful service to others begins with a heart of humility. John Calvin said, forget yourself if you would serve God. That's pretty blunt, isn't it? Forget yourself if you would serve God. Now, let me just mention uh, quickly the other example here. The example of Epaphroditus in verses 25 to 30. And he was the humble sufferer. Both had to have humility. But it would involve service and it would involve suffering. And both of these overlap. There were certainly elements of this in Timothy and elements of what Timothy had in Epaphroditus. (coughs) Epaphroditus was someone who was prepared to suffer. As I was saying, you, you, God goes through, puts you through sufferings to prepare you for other things. But we, from that, we learn how to be prepared for future times of trial and difficulty. Epaphroditus' name means lovely. And you can see in his name, Aphrodite, one of the gods that were worshipped in those days. Probably Epaphroditus' parents were not believers, and so they named him uh, after uh, one of the gods of that day. In any case, Paul mentions his qualifications here. Three that concerned his relationship, uh, Paul's relationship to Epaphroditus, and two that concern Epaphroditus' relationship to the church. To Paul, he says, he's my brother, my fellow worker, and a fellow soldier, verse 25. Very powerful things to say. Brother in Christ, 
one who labors in serving others for the, for the good of Christ's people and the, the glory of God. And he's a fellow soldier. We're in a spiritual war. We still are, aren't we? 2,000 years later, there is a spiritual war going on behind everything that's taking place in this crazy world. It's not just political. It's not just military. Ultimately, it's the kingdom of darkness versus the kingdom of light. And they clash. And we know who will come out ahead in the end. But in the meantime, there are a lot of battles to fight. The world of flesh and the devil conspire against us. So he understands that. Uh, Epaphroditus understood that. But he just tells them there that, that he was also their messenger and minister. He was a servant, minister, messenger. He took uh, the messages from Paul to Philippi and in reverse, messages from Philippi to Paul. Paul had his network going with his churches. And so he says here, he had become very sick. And the people at Philippi loved Epaphroditus and they were really concerned about him. You know, it, it seemed like he was not going to make it, whatever the illness was. And Paul says he was ill near to death in verse 27, to the point of death. The same phrase that was used of Jesus earlier in that chapter. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death on the cross. Epaphroditus came that close to dying. And why was he willing to do that? He got sick and was in his uh, travels. And he was traveling because of his love for the church. <clears throat> so if he was doing that and he became sick, it could well be thought that he, didn't, he wouldn't have gotten sick if he hadn't gone on this arduous trip. Whatever the case, he almost died and the people were concerned about that. Verse 30, he says he risked his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. The word li risk there literally is the word gamble. Humanly speaking, he was gambling that he would make it. And God in his mercy, says Paul uh, in verse uh, 27, God had mercy on him. In other words, God healed him. Hey, when you get sick or someone you love gets sick in your family and then they get better, do you attribute that to God's mercy? You say, thank you, Lord, for being merciful to us. Because that implies that they didn't have to get well. When they get well, it's because God enabled them to get well. And he is praised for that. He's going to be praised whatever happens, but he's praised for showing mercy in that situation. Let's think that, think that way when we're dealing with so much sickness all around us in our lives and in the, in the world today. So he is someone to appreciate. Receive him, he says in verse 29, and honor him. Honor such men like him. Here's a man that was humble and willing to suffer for the good of the church. <coughs> and any type of service that we render to others is going to cost us something. So 
Think in terms of, of being focused on advancing the good of others, even if it is at your expense. Someone said it this way, <clears throat> wait to be promoted rather than aiming to promote yourself. You humble yourself, as Jesus taught, God will lift you up. He'll promote you in whatever way he sees fit. When you put yourself at the disposal of Christ or Christ's people, someone who is an agent of joy is what this man was. He says in verse 28, so that I may rejoice. In verse 29, receive him in the Lord with all joy. We talked about how joy is all over the place in this book of Philippians. Now, what do we take from this? Let me mention this and we're through with this passage. From Stephen Lawson, um, I'm sorry, from, uh, I just quoted him, <clears throat> from uh, Johnson, uh, Dr. Johnson at Westminster Seminary. Let Timothy show you what it looks like to push back against your own fears and instead to have your heart open to the cares and concerns of others. And let Epaphroditus show you the quiet courage that takes risks to health and safety, that puts one's own comforts and convenience in jeopardy for the work of Christ in service to the servants of Jesus. And then look around. Where are there people where we can serve them? They're all around. They're all around us right now and they're around us in homes and other places in our community. How can we adopt the examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus? But even more than that, what do Timothy and Titus and Paul ultimately point us to by their example? The one who humbled himself and gave himself up for us. The one whose death we are about to commemorate. The one who offered himself to satisfy the Father's justice for your guilt before him and your sin, and who offers himself. Jesus doesn't just offer um, salvation. He doesn't just offer you a better life. He offers himself to you in all that he is for us, that we can know his love if we turn from our sin and put our trust alone in Jesus Christ, he's the only way to the Father. And then as his children, let's humbly serve here in this fellowship. Pray with me. Now, Father, we ask you to direct our hearts to the cross. We have to come back, Lord, over and over to the cross because that's the basis of our life, our hope. Minister to us now that we in turn might humbly serve and even be willing to suffer for their good and for the honor and praise of Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.